Chapter 4, Part 1 of The Greater Life and Work of Christ. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. The Greater Life and Work of Christ by Alexander Patterson. Chapter 4, Part 1 Jesus, Christ in His Earthly Life there are four gospels in the old testament as in the new and they also tell the story of the earthly life of christ they run parallel to the history of christ as jehovah creation was the first gospel its life of christ has been examined the second gospel was written in flesh and blood there are certain specifically named persons who are appointed to represent christ as types adam was the first representing christ as the head of the race Melchizedek was the type of the priesthood of Christ. Moses with Joshua, a type of his prophetic office. David with Solomon, types of Christ in his kingship as son of David to Israel. In the wider kingship of universal dominion, Nebuchadnezzar is the one whose title, King of Kings, he assumes. Ezekiel is the one from whom Christ takes his favorite title, Son of Man. And Jonah was a type of his burial israel as a nation as has been said was a messiah among the nations and is as a nation a type of christ every one of the old testament saints had some features of the coming christ in one respect they differ from those of the new the latter have each an undivided part of the whole christ of his fullness have we all received and grace for grace this helps us to understand the fragmentary character of the experiences and lives of old testament saints they were incomplete in their understanding of christ and the reception of his grace the third gospel was written in symbols these are seen from the tree of life down through the long line of appointed types of things natural or artificial all the articles and ceremonies of the tabernacle and the temple and the entire ritual of worship the fourth gospel consists of the written prediction beginning with the first in eden down to the last as to the forerunner of malachi while jehovah as a second person was but dimly known to israel the coming christ was fully revealed it is evident he did not wish to be known in the future as jehovah but as christ israel seemed to gradually come to understand the truth as to the coming christ a few at first comprehended though in a limited degree before his coming it was generally understood but it was then as now those who did not desire him did not learn much about him or look for him the heart want must precede the head to belief to each longing soul the coming messiah was revealed according to his needs we must distinguish then as now between christ revealed in us and to us as types each showed the former as individuals they realized the latter according to their desires and effort to do so and this was according to their circumstances to abraham the coming christ was the longed-for seed to jacob a deliverer to moses a revelation of glory to david an error and so to each believer however humble yet christ was not fully foreseen even by the utterers of the prophecies there were two points they failed to perceive the pre-existence of the coming messiah 
and his afflictions they did not understand that the coming messiah was to be jehovah most of the predictions of messiah came in their declining days and they saw what they most desired a deliverer coming in glory israel was not the only people looking for or desiring a coming one the magians from the east represented many to whom god revealed him or in whom a sense of need created desire for the deliverer the prophecies had been carried far and wide wherever scattered israel went and were read by seekers after truth such as the ethiopian eunuch christ was in a limited measure the desire of all nations plato said it is necessary that a lawgiver be sent from heaven to instruct us oh how greatly do i desire to see that man and who he is he must be more than man the sibylline oracles predicted and described fairly well christ as he was prophesied evidently drawing on the prophecies for their forecast but in all whether in israel or the world the desire or knowledge of the coming messiah was at best limited and indifferent there was no deep world-wide expectancy as might have been expected with such repeated and detailed predictions well understood too as is seen by the conduct of the chief priests in telling herod where christ should be born we would suppose that israel at least would be awaiting in preparation and intense expectancy the advent of christ it was as has been seen a prepared people to whom christ came centuries had been spent in their schooling for this great event the land to which christ came was israel's it was chiefly for the purposes of this advent of christ that it was selected it was on this platform of the world that christ came to display the glory of divine grace it was at the centre of the earth he began his work but there was one vast and interested circle of intense observers we must remember that all this display of the work of christ is for all worlds and ages we are actors and observers but we are not the only ones nor the largest number nor those seen all or most angels are to be instructed as well as man which things angels desire to look into they had followed their lord in his creative and providential work and had assisted in it as we are told they had heard and doubtless studied the meaning of the prophecies they knew more than man but it is not probable they knew all it was to be a revelation to them as to man so when the time came to see the great event we can well believe there was the most intense expectancy among the beings of the other world it was perhaps the occasion of a great assembly there are such in heaven there was one when creation was finished and the sons of god shouted for joy there certainly was when christ was born there is reference to some such gathering perhaps this in the words heard by isaiah and i heard the voice of the lord saying whom shall i send and who will go for us this was the prophet's call to service but each prophet walked the path of his master here then was a call for someone to go on some great mission we can well believe that in answer to a call for someone to go to earth and save man there would be many responses but this was more than an errand of mere mercy if this were all christ had had before him any angel could and would have done the work even to die for man men have died for each other 
and for loved ones, and why not angels? Surely they are neither less willing nor capable. But this call involved far more, as will be seen when we come to consider the details of the great descent of Christ. Christ had made himself personally responsible for the sin and state of man. As the firstborn of all creation, as creator, and in the relations he has assumed toward the race, by the countless sacrifices and types, by his own expressed declarations, by every solemn act, Christ made himself the sole possible saviour of man and creation and heaven. And now the time had come to fulfil all the vast obligation. The call, if such there was, could only have been to draw attention to the vastness and urgency of the task for the instruction of all. The fate of the whole race depended on the step Christ was now called on to take. The salvation of all believers past was not complete, until sin was atoned for, and Satan conquered and salvation secured. If there was any objection to the redemptive work of Christ, that was the time to declare it. True, there was no human being present, but if there were any reasonable or unreasonable objection or arguments of any force to present, Satan was competent to present them. Doubtless, he also was present, for we read in the account of such an assembly, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. We come to the conclusion that the devil did not know of any such objection, and that those who object now either know more or less than Satan. To Christ this was the great step in the execution of the plan of the ages. The life he was now to enter he well knew. He had lived it in type and person of his people. It was written in creation and by the pens of holy men of God, who spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. But now the life was to be lived in person. The reply of Christ to the call of the Father is given to us. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body didst thou prepare for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hadst no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I am come. In the roll of the book it is written of me, To do thy will, O God. The entire humiliation of Christ is given in the following passage. Being in the form of God, counted it not a prize to be on an equality with God, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient even unto death, yea, the death of the cross. This shows the parts in the humiliation of Christ, what he relinquished, what he became, and what he did. This describes the state before he began his great descent. He had the form of God. He had equality with God. This he might have retained, but he counted it not a thing to be grasped and held. Christ's humiliation began in heaven. The first part of Christ's humiliation, that which was seen by heaven alone, is described in these words. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. He first emptied himself. The verb rendered emptied occurs in four other places and is rendered made void. That of which he emptied himself is stated in the previous sentence, being in the form of God on an equality with God. 
of these then he emptied himself he laid aside the form of god he relinquished equality with god he rises like a monarch relinquishing royal power and office for a time lays aside his crown and robes and descends from the throne we have noted his eternal place in the bosom of the father with its nearness fellowship and honor we must not suppose that because christ was an infinite being it was not a sacrifice to relinquish this he afterward looked back to the glory he then relinquished in these words o father glorify me with thine own self with the glory which i had with thee before the world was it was dearer to christ than all else save to do the will of god and save man he emptied himself of his divine glory and laid his divine attributes omnipotence omniscience omnipresence under temporary voluntary limitations he laid aside his administrative power over the affairs of earth and heaven none of this he claimed during his earthly life nor did he resume it until he said all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth he also laid aside his creative power none of his miracles were creative the healings were remedial only the miracle of the loaves was increase of existing food and not creation jesus limited himself in his knowledge he said of that day and hour knoweth no one not even the angels of heaven neither the son but the father only there is no gain but on the other hand great loss in making this step of self-emptying in christ less than it was by so doing we minimize the humiliation of christ and so rob him of his glory and ourselves of the comfort in knowing how he was made like unto us this mistaken interpretation comes from a timid fear lest christ be made less in his divinity and this comes from resting the argument for his divinity and nature on this one chapter in his life christ's humanity is seen in his humiliation his divinity in his exaltation the second step taking the form of a servant was also an act in the presence of the heavenly assembly we are reminded of a corresponding act on earth when laying aside his garments he took a basin of water and towel and washed the disciples feet he took the form of a servant so in the presence of the greater discipleship of heaven by some act of infinite condescension he having laid aside his divine glory and power stepped down among the lowliest of the serving waiting host and took the form of a servant but christ was destined to become lower than the angels he was made in the likeness of men and found in fashion as a man he was to enter human life and nature as though a man could and should lay aside his human form and nature and take upon himself the form and nature of a worm and live its life in all its conditions this is but a feeble comparison to the descent from deity to humanity from heaven to fallen earth he was to begin where every human being begins and to travel the whole journey through the psalmist he speaks of himself thus i was cast upon thee from the womb this then was as truly christ as he who hung on the cross it is no more strange that christ should enter life so than that he should enter life at all we are not asked to understand this but to believe it on the statement of the word of god all attempts to explain by abstruse terms and reasonings the time and manner of the union of the two natures of christ 
are unsatisfying and unsatisfying explanations breed unbelief we must leave it therefore where god has left it unexplained in this beginning christ descends to the lowest level of existence we have heretofore seen that the beginnings of life are all alike in plant animal insect or man there is no discernible difference we have seen that man passes up through all the lower forms of life he exists as each for a time and passes on to his own state christ did all this he not only travelled the path of human life but also the path of all life he tasted the life of every living thing he thus became incarnated not only for man but for all creation that he might redeem everything that hath life christ embodied all heavenly intelligences in his spiritual nature all mankind in his psychical nature and all organic and inorganic creation in his physical nature christ therefore summed up all things in his redemptive work a greater contrast could not be conceived of than the advent of christ as celebrated by heaven and received on earth it is the occasion of another great call for the adoration of the heavenly beings when he again bringeth in the firstborn into the world he saith and let all the angels of god worship him heaven was undoubtedly absorbed in its joyful celebration it was the beginning of the fulfilment of the fourfold gospel of the scripture all they knew of nature all they had seen of the gradual revelation of the coming christ in his people in the countless types and ceremonies all they heard of the spoken predictions of scripture which they so desired to look into was now to be fulfilled the first step in the overthrow of the enemy of christ was now taken the beginning of the end of sin had come the opening of the path back to eden was now begun they had sung anthems of joy over earth's creation if creation filled them with joy and praise what must have been the effect on these spiritual and holy beings of the commencement of redemption it was to them as to us the central point from which all events were to be hereafter measured to heaven as to earth it was to be the reckoning point of all time and more for b c and a d are to be the extensions of eternity the world was asleep and so was the church when christ was born of all that city full of ecclesiastical dignitaries but one apprised of the great event they might have known of its imminence indeed they did know and directed herod to the very place but they were not watching or waiting or even ready we read of no exultation on the news being received nor even a tardy reception they were wrapped up in acquisition of property in formal and splendid liturgical worship they were divided into bitter sects and were engaged in endless discussions and worst of all were immersed in lives of secret or open sin all the while looking for the establishment on earth of a state of power and glory for themselves by the coming kingdom to a few poor shepherds was given the great honor of welcoming the son of god in his advent to earth they were watching over their flocks we must believe they were also waiting and watching for the coming messiah perhaps they were that very moment talking of the great hope of israel and expressing the longing that they might be living when he came and be permitted to see and hear him and above all to receive a share in the blessing he was to bring to israel perhaps like david one of their own occupation long ago 
they were singing their hopes in sacred song the inspired account is as follows and an angel of the lord stood by them and the glory of the lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid and the angel said unto them be not afraid for behold i bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all the people for there is born to you this day in the city of david a saviour which is christ the lord and this is a sign unto you ye shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising god and saying glory to god in the highest and on earth peace among men in whom he is well pleased and it came to pass when the angels went away from them into heaven the shepherds said one to another let us now go even unto bethlehem and see this thing that is come to pass which the lord hath made known unto us and they came with haste and found both mary and joseph and the babe lying in the manger jesus was probably born in a cave for such were the stables for cattle in such humble communities no lowlier place could be imagined he entered the lowest condition of man for even savages have better accommodations there could be no higher honor awarded woman than to be the medium of the earthly advent of the son of god by woman came sin but by woman came christ in this was more than compensated her share in the fall women were the constant friends of jesus no woman's hand was ever lifted to smite him no woman's voice was ever raised against him in his hour of trial a woman only of all earth's multitudes spoke in his defence and on his way to the cross only woman's words were spoken in sympathy the woman god selected of all the thousands of israel was a chosen vessel for the high honour we have no record of her life but there are intimations which give us some glimpses into the history and character of the woman so signally honoured in her song she speaks of her low estate hers was a life of poverty and toil the position of joseph tells us that she lived in a humble home with little to make life vain or idle she speaks of the proud in her song he hath scattered the proud in the imaginations of the heart here is reference to some personal enmity against her or the contempt of some such people as well as spiritual meaning whether for her lowly position or for her piety we do not know probably the latter she was as all are who share christ's cross or crown schooled in the ways of adversity it is related of her afterward in connection with the strange things done and said at the birth of her son that she kept all these sayings pondering them in her heart there is a glimpse of a reserved meditative disposition she is seen directing the servants at the marriage of cana and seems to be in charge there of the preparations for the feast she has the confidence of others and the ability to direct in short a womanly strength of character she was probably far from the appearance of the madonnas of art as was her divine son from the same artistic ideals her piety is seen in connection with the great event of her life she accepts the announcement in perfect faith and in glad submission it was to bring upon her suspicion and obloquy it proved so even joseph did not believe her and was preparing to put her away if the one she loved doubted her 
what must have been the feelings and conduct of the cynical sneering world about her a shameful stigma was attached to her name it was an awful burden which mary so joyfully accepted on her first of all fell the shadow of the cross alone she bore the burden and reproach knowing herself that she was true and that god knew so also the most painful of all was to be suspected by the one she loved a worse fate all in all could scarcely befall woman a stigma doubtless followed both her and jesus who thus began life among the most despised the manliness of joseph as well as his piety is seen in his prompt acknowledgment of mary as his wife at the divine command he thereby took her reproach and bore it with her silently accepting the odium as his own together this simple loving couple stepped into the shadows which were to cover their lives no greater task or trust was ever committed to man than to be the custodian of the son of god in his helpless infancy joseph was the true christopher or christ-bearer he accepted the burden as cheerfully as mary it was a burden it sent him from home to a strange land for two years and made him the possible object of suspicion to watchful civil and ecclesiastical powers joseph sings no magnificat he seems to have been a simple silent faithful man he toils at the bench and fills his allotted place and passes out of the narrative without record probably dying as tradition tells early in jesus life the rite of circumcision placed the receiver under obligation as the apostle tells us to keep the whole law christ entered on that obligation it was the first act of the life of righteousness he was to live in that one act he was committed to the keeping of the whole law in all its spiritual as well as all of its literal ceremonies the name jesus given by god's command was a common one it has become an uncommon one to us by his adoption of it but at that day there were many of the name of jesus it was and has been mentioned the name of israel's victorious leader who brought them into the promised land for this and its meaning saviour it was chosen the unrecorded thirty years of the life of jesus were not particularly different from the life of others at that time the record of his childhood gives all we need to know the child grew and waxed strong filled with wisdom and the grace of god was upon him here is natural growth of every kind he came to recognize his mother and other members of his household he learned to crawl and to walk holding his mother's hand he took his first step alone he learned to speak a few small words and names he played with other children and learned to run errands and helped about the humble home he became an apprentice to joseph's trade and learned to use tools and how to make yokes and pails and ploughs he was taught to say prayers and verses of scripture and was taken to the synagogue and at twelve to the temple he learned to read and write if as we believe joseph died early in the life of jesus he was left with the burden of the support of the family upon him as the eldest son he toiled early and late he bought materials and sold the articles of his handiwork he was in favor with god and man he was a good obliging neighbor a kind brother an honest tradesman a dutiful son as the oldest son and the support of the family he would or should have had some authority no doubt this would be disputed 
and there would arise occasions for the display of all forbearance and wisdom he lived these years in nazareth it was a poor place and the family were poor and it was a daily struggle for food and clothing jesus was always poor doubtless he often went hungry that others might have enough and help those still poorer than himself spiritually his teacher was the holy spirit the textbooks were nature man and scripture he was a close observer of nature what he afterward spoke of lilies and sparrows and growing crops was doubtless learned in these early years so also the panorama of human life passing before him the parables were doubtless all actual events of which he knew he observed men sowing and shepherds going after lost sheep and a woman looking for a lost coin and the joy she felt at its recovery he heard of a younger son who went into a far country and came back the poorer for his trip he watched wedding feasts he learned of debtors and creditors in their doings but his great textbook was the scriptures especially the pentateuch and the psalms his mind penetrated its meaning with lightning-like rapidity and accuracy yet it was learning by the process of reading and thinking over its meaning and comparing scripture with scripture it was doubtless his early proficiency which made him the reader in the synagogue his inner life was lived alone his brothers did not appreciate his spiritual desires he soon got beyond his mother in thoughts nazareth was the most uncongenial place in the land for him it was a rude coarse and godless place he was as much alone as his forerunner in the deserts there is no natural or divine requirement to think that the human nature of jesus was any departure from the laws of heredity he was like his mother in his human disposition as far as we can read hers and know his he was serious and meditative yet capable of great outbursts of expression we judge from scripture that his voice was low and his manners quiet he was not strong physically but could on an emergency put forth great and long-continued efforts leaving him utterly exhausted he was never jovial but extraordinarily sympathetic he could be ironical and even severe he could and did show anger and could terrify by his looks strong men felt they were in the presence of a master before that plain galilean the personal appearance of jesus is not made a matter of particular mention in scripture there are few personal allusions of any kind evidently the person of the earthly jesus is not to be the subject of contemplation or of picture we have this however about him he hath no form or comeliness and when we see him there is no beauty that we should desire him his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men the conventional pictures are probably very far from his actual appearance they are all grecian in face and jesus was a jew we must not suppose the spiritual life of jesus at this time was one of unruffled peace it was a life of struggle every way it was the same as the life of a believer since the children are sharers in flesh and blood he also in like manner partook of the same it behooved him in all things to be made like unto his brethren he himself hath suffered being tempted he had a daily battle against the common temptations of man if we can judge from ancestry he had in his physical nature that which made temptation a terrible thing to him 
we must not in our conception of the divinity of jesus remove him beyond the power of temptation he had a fair full trial of human life he was tempted or tried in all points as we are and each of us knows what that is it is temptation from within as well as from without and from the beginning to the close of life jesus had to pray and resist and struggle and turn away from temptation it was not temptation hurling its shafts against a stone wall but against flesh and blood he was the word made flesh he was in the likeness of sinful flesh his was a body derived from a weak sinful woman it took upon him man's nature with the essential properties and common infirmities his sinlessness was not the result of unimpressibility but of constant and perfect victory over sin temptations may be met in several ways it may be felt and yielded to it may be met considered struggled against and finally yielded to it may be felt considered struggled against and rejected or it may be felt and instantly rejected and struggled against this latter was we think the way with jesus he felt it all in all its forms and resisted and came through stainless the first in human form who so did those thirty silent years of his life were years of struggle the life of jesus was a development from the manger to the ascension and this also he travelled our path for it became him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the author of their salvation perfect through sufferings for both he that sanctifieth and they that are sanctified are all of one for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren there is more in the believer's life than resisting temptation that is negative there is a positive side also he was developed and made perfect all which implies increase of gifts and graces and development of all spiritual parts the waiting until thirty years of age before beginning his mission means more than simply waiting until he was at the priestly age it meant waiting until maturity he was gathering the strength which was to be poured out in the few short years of his ministry they were to be years of expenditure of all the forces he had as we shall see he needed all the strength he could accumulate we do not know when jesus came to the consciousness of his divinity and mission he grew in wisdom and so probably came gradually to the knowledge of who and what he was at the age of twelve he had a knowledge of god as his father but it is not certain that this was the knowledge of his divinity whether his mother ever told him of his divine origin is very doubtful it would not be according to the ways of god that the knowledge of the sonship should rest in ever so slight a measure on the word of any save himself jesus followed our experiences we are not without light as to how he came to know his sonship certainly there was a time when he did not know and the time came when he did come to know we come to faith in god and his mercy by the word on this we rest in simple faith there follows the witness of the spirit witnessing with our spirits that we are the sons of god there follows this the experience of the believer such as love for the brethren which also tell him he is a child of god 
it is according to the analogy to believe jesus came to see himself a son of god before he came to know himself as the son of god we may believe the time came to jesus in childhood when he knew of god and when he desired to be a child of god and led by this desire to yield himself up to god to be his and perhaps later a desire to serve god in some special way and to present his body a living sacrifice wholly acceptable unto god all the spiritual experiences the christian has gone through we may be sure jesus also experienced by the scripture he came to know of a coming messiah and the time and place and events of his coming by the holy spirit's still small voice he was told he himself was the messiah and by the subsequent experiences he was further certified in his messiahship doubtless one of the marks he saw in himself was the messiah feeling for israel they were as sheep without a shepherd his whole heart went out to them to save them after jesus commencement of his office there was a difference if not before in the manner of receiving or knowing the truth it was certainly different from that of any prophet john the baptist makes this clear what he hath seen and heard of that he beareth witness how he saw and heard jesus tells in these words the son can do nothing of himself but what he seeth the father doing for what things soever he doeth these the son also doeth in like manner he refers again to his learning in these words i do nothing of myself but as the father taught me i speak these things i speak the things which i have seen with my father he here refers undoubtedly to his pre-existence but his knowledge was continuous also the words that i say unto you i speak not from myself but the father abiding in me doeth his works believe me that i am in the father and the father in me jesus was in constant communication with his father the unseen world was constantly open to his vision ye shall see the heaven opened up and the angels of god ascending and descending upon the son of man refers not to an occasional or future experience of jesus but to a necessary condition to be given the disciples by which they would be able to see as elisha's servants saw the angels who were there before in this secret assurance he goes to the baptism of john at jordan he gazes on the scene he well knows what it means to the people and to himself he quietly waits until all have been baptized and steps forward to offer himself for the right john recognizes him and expostulates this draws from jesus that which gives us the meaning of his baptism thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness it was confession of sin and an act of repentance as to the law all john did was to make reformed jews of his converts he brought them back again to the law so jesus in submitting to baptism took his place as a sinner who needed repenting he identified himself with that guilty conscience-stricken throng it was his first act of personal substitution it meant more to jesus the jordan was the boundary over which israel crossed into the promised land crossing the jordan fully committed them to all the risks and all the gains of the future and entering the land as they did and were commanded they passed between mounts ebal and gerizim and between the blessings and the cursings 
all this jesus knew it was therefore to him a full committal first to his own personal obligation to keep the law and by identifying himself with israel in baptism he thereby made himself liable for all the consequences of violated law on their part it was a formal act by which jesus accepted the whole mission before him and fully committed himself to it three divine manifestations followed the baptism the open heaven the descending spirit the voice of god saying thou art my beloved son in thee i am well pleased these three had each a special meaning to jesus the open heaven was the attestation of god to his sinlessness never since the withdrawal of the divine visible presence had heaven and earth been united for heaven must be shut to a guilty world and here was one over whom heaven could open the voice of god was the open acknowledgment of his sonship the third was the descent of the holy ghost it was the anointing it was this which gave him his name the christ anointing was performed on the sick to give health and strength and upon guests as a mark of honor and upon persons set apart for special service or office as prophets priests and kings in all these meanings it may be considered it was god's strength given to jesus it was earth's guest to be honored it was chief of all the setting apart of jesus to his life work the anointing of jesus was also that of power for service it was in the power of the spirit he henceforth did and spake suffered died and rose again he had laid aside his primeval glory and power as we have seen this was not the assumption of these again for that did not occur until he ascended this is the filling of the holy spirit now he receives that energy and power by which he wrought all his miracles and all he did up to his taking his place at god's right hand it is expressly stated that by the spirit he was led up into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil by the spirit he preached by the spirit he cast out devils and wrought all his miracles by the spirit he knew all things it was by the spirit he knew the hearts of men and the future all was given him by the anointing of the holy spirit there is a difference between the holy spirit in christ and the believer in the believer the holy spirit divides gifts to each severally as he wills in christ abode the entire personality of the holy spirit in him dwelleth all the fullness of the godhead bodily we receive of christ's fullness of his fullness we all received and grace for grace the church as one body has now the holy spirit in all his fullness but no one person has such a measure the believer may be filled with the spirit but it is according to his measure unto each one of us was the grace given according to the measure of the gift of christ while of christ it is said he whom god hath sent speaketh the words of god for he giveth not the spirit by measure it was in the similarity of the power and not in the measure of it that jesus was made like unto his brethren hence we see all the old testament prophets did jesus afterward did on the other hand every miracle of jesus can be paralleled by one from the records of the prophets and apostles so the apostles knew what was in the hearts of men peter read ananias and simon the sorcerer and paul again and again did likewise so also they spake indeed jesus said 
greater works than these shall he do there is great strength to the believer in thinking he has the same power as his lord all that jesus was and did and endured the believer may also enjoy according to the measure of the gift of grace given him end of chapter four part one